Welcome to the Family Bible Journey. Do you want more good algorithms in your life? Did you know that when you subscribe to the podcast, when you follow us on Facebook and Instagram, when you like and love our posts and pages, the internet machine will find new ways to send good, encouraging content into your life? So please, subscribe, follow, like, and love away, that you can continue to be blessed and encouraged in your journey through the Bible. And as always, thanks for listening. This is episode 29, season 1 of the Family Bible Journey Old Testament podcast. Today we're looking at Genesis chapters 36 and 37. The title of today's podcast is, When Dreams Become Nightmares. Our key verses for this podcast are chapter 37, verses 18 to 20. When his brothers saw Joseph from afar, he became near to them, and they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But in chapter 37, we get to see the story of Joseph begin to unfold. And Joseph, in many ways, is going to be the central character of the rest of the book of Genesis. Now, we learn a lot about young Joseph. He is a dreamer, clearly. He is somebody who seems to have a fairly high opinion of himself. Not a surprise to anyone who knows how the youngest child in a family often acts. Not that they always are entitled or feel as if they are better than the rest. But, you know, that's kind of what the old story goes, right? That the youngest children are spoiled. Parents are a little bit older, a little bit more lenient. They let the younger one get away with everything. At least this is oftentimes what the older children in the family would say about the youngest. And so Joseph is in many ways a typical youngest child. He also is clearly the favorite of his parents. We know that Jacob loved Rachel above the other wives, that they had to wait many, many, many years for her to have her son Joseph. And so he has a special place in his father's heart to make sure that everyone knows that Joseph is the favored child. We're told in this chapter that his father made him a robe of many colors. This would have been very expensive. Some of the most lucrative ways to make a living in this time in human history was to be somebody who was able to make dyes. Not having the technology and the resources that we have today in order to make these dyes and collect these dyes and find these dyes, it was often very labor intensive. Sometimes the dyes were made from crushed grasses or seeds. Some certain dyes were made from seashells and not just any and every seashell, but certain seashells or certain animals of the deep that had to be prepared in a particular way in order to render the color and the cloth that people wanted. And so this coat of many colors was a very lavish gift. It was a rich gift. And it didn't help Joseph's cause with his brothers because now that they got to see with their own eyes how he was the favored child, having suspected it all along, it just made their jealousy grow. It made their anger grow. It made their resentment of their younger brother grow. In verse 4 of Genesis chapter 37, it says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now I have in this passage a note in my study Bible from 37 verse 4, and it's anger, arrow, resentment, arrow, bitterness, arrow, hatred, arrow, murder. And then it says, keep watch on your heart so that it's not poisoned towards others. These brothers' hearts were poisoned towards young Joseph, who 
who they envied, the affection that he had from his father. And, and it's easy to understand, too, because these older brothers, many of them are adults at this point in time, have been laboring with dad and working for dad, and their entire lives have been invested in prospering and blessing and promoting the welfare of this family. And then this young punk brother comes along and he seems to steal all the attention. He steals the show, and it's just, just not fair. And if it wasn't bad enough that Joseph was the favorite, if it wasn't bad enough that his father made him the special coat, if it wasn't enough that his brothers hated him all the more, he then had to go and tell them the story about these wonderful dreams he had where everyone bowed down to him, everyone worshipped him, and he was a center of attention. And this just sealed the deal for the brothers. So much so that when he went to go find them, as they are shepherding the flock many miles away from home, they find an opportunity to betray him and to get rid of him. Uh, in this story, we have several of the red Kairos marked in the margins, particularly on verses 22, 24, and 28. So the brothers find him, they capture him, they put him in a pit, they lower him down into a dry well, and they decide that they're gonna sell him into slavery. The reason why I have these Kairos in these particular verses is in that verse 22, the original intent of the brothers was to just kill him, just murder him, just get rid of him. But Reuben is a type of Christ because he says to the brothers, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. Here Reuben intercedes for the welfare of his brother, just as Jesus is going to intercede, even for those who had nailed him to the cross when his final hours came. And so in this instance, Reuben is a type of Christ. Verse 24, it says that they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Here, Joseph is a type of Christ because after Jesus was arrested on that Monday, Thursday, they lowered him into a pit. We know that Jesus had false trials, mock trials. Well, they were viewed as true trials to the authorities at the time, but these mock trials where Jesus was convicted that they actually physically lowered him into a pit. And there is a church built on Mount Zion at the traditional location of Caiaphas' house. And there is a pit where many believe is the very pit that Jesus was lowered into. And it's one of the most powerful places that you can go to and visit in the Holy Land. It's, it's a, a wonderful place because of the depth of the anguish of the soul of Christ, who in many ways was going through hell for God's people there in that very place. And then in verse 28, we see that when the Midianite traders came, that they pulled Joseph up out of the pit, that they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. So here, Joseph, again, is a type of Christ in two ways. This idea of being brought up out of the pit and then being sold for the price of a slave, just as Jesus was sold for pieces of silver, the price of a slave at his day. And so many parallels here between Joseph's story and the Jesus story. And we want to note those as we're going through this passage because it is a powerful story of God's grace. Joseph here is, is betrayed. He is sold to foreigners and taken to another foreign land. Sometimes as Christians, I believe that we have a little bit of a disservice because we know how the story ends, even as we're reading the beginning of the story. But this is a very dark and troubling chapter, not only for Joseph, but also for Israel. The chapter ends with Israel mourning the loss of his son, the brothers bring back a bloodied robe, the colored robe, but they had dipped in goat's blood. And Jacob is convinced his brother has died and he weeps and he laments. So here on the heels of having lost his father, having lost Rachel, his beloved wife, 
he now loses Rachel's son, and we cannot fathom the depth of Israel's mourning on account of Joseph. It's a, a common occurrence that when we lose a loved one, that we want to hold on to things as keepsakes and remembrances of that person. I know that in many families, uh, when uh, an elderly person dies, especially if that person has maybe a dog or a cat, that someone in the family will take that one in as their own. And, and sometimes there is a feeling of closeness with this animal as if a part of that person continues to live on on that animal. And sometimes when those pets of the deceased pass away, the mourning is, is redoubled. It kind of comes back as if the person had died again. This is a psychological phenomenon, an emotional thing that I've seen played out in the lives of members of my congregations that I've served. And it's a normal thing. So here, not only is Israel mourning the loss of his son, he's mourning again the loss of his wife. This is a, a double catastrophe for him as he's lost that son of Rachel, that, that tangible connection to her, the woman he loved that he had to lay to rest as she was giving life to her youngest son. This is also a terribly difficult time for Joseph. When the chapter began, he was the favored son of his father. Now he is a slave and a fugitive in a foreign land. Yes, God is going to use Joseph to work a mighty miracle of deliverance for Israel and for his family, but that's not where we are in the story. Right now, all we have is the depth of darkness, the darkness of betrayal, the darkness of murderous hatred, the darkness of mourning as Israel has lost his most beloved people in his life. It is bad, 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 and more bad. And we don't want to diminish it or dismiss it just because God is going to make it better in the end. No, in order to really join in this journey together, and if we really want to understand in a deeper and more meaningful way these stories that are preserved for us, we need to join these characters in their suffering. And on that point, I'm going to make just a, a quick word of caution, a word of, of advice maybe for comforting those who mourn, because when somebody loses a loved one, I have seen it play out hundreds of times where well-intended Christian friends and family come to them and tell them something along the lines of, oh, it'll be okay. It'll be all right. And I don't think that that is helpful for the person in the moment of mourning. And as a matter of fact, it can be very detrimental. I feel that sometimes these sorts of comforting gestures are a way for the person who comes to comfort the mourner to try to minimize their own grief by minimizing the grief of the other person. And we don't mean it. It isn't as if we intentionally are hurting that other person by not allowing them to mourn, but that is exactly what happens. And so if you have a friend or a family member who's mourning, I would encourage you to just join them in that sorrow. Laugh with those who laugh, weep with those who weep, is what we are told to do uh, by King Solomon in his wisdom literature. And so it is good for us not to simply dismiss because we know the end of the story. Wrap arms around that person in love. Comfort them with the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, yes, but not in a way that diminishes their true sorrow. Because a loss is a loss. We lose a part of ourselves that we're not going to get back until we do see them in glory. And in my humble opinion, it is much better instead of minimizing it or dismissing it because we know the end of the story is to join in it with them and mourn with them because of the loss that they have experienced. And so we conclude our podcast today with a blessing.
For all of you paper people listening, and I expect there are a few of you out there, especially since we are journaling our way through the Bible, if you would like to snail mail a letter or send a contribution, you can find our contact info, including our mailing address, at familybiblejourney.com. Our blessing for today. May you find a friend in Jesus who was betrayed for you when you are betrayed by others. Amen. Thank you.